you are listening to the Entrust Podcast. This weekly course seeks to provide theological training within a ministry setting so you can take what you learn and share it with others. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. For now, here is this week's episode. Here's the thing about missions and, and to get our head and heart around it. What's so unique about the setting that we're apart tonight, okay? So uh, we've been calling this thing Equip, and then we're switching it to Entrust because uh, many of you guys know that last year we started something called the Entrust Institute, right? And so uh, while there are many in this room that are hopefully going to get some information and hopefully it's going to change the way you think and live and maybe redirect some things in life, there are actually people in here that are getting seminary credit for this, okay? And so what's so unique about this is that they are going through this program and allowing them within the context of a local church to get appropriated, to get understanding, to be able to understand things like missions, but then to be sent out for whatever purpose God may call them to. Um, The reason why this thing exists is because years ago, um, when when I went to seminary, uh, my job was in this environment, right? My church was over here, and then my ministry training was in a completely different setting. And so the heartbeat behind this is, what if all those three things could be one reality, right? Instead of sending people away from the church, right, to go and, and to be trained, uh, it's like, what if that could happen here? And so that's why we're doing this tonight, but also we kind of like to think about, um, while we could do this in a closed classroom for our three students that are a part of this, right, we could do that. We also think that potentially, hopefully, this information should be able to benefit anybody who's following after Jesus to know what does it mean to live their life on missions, right? Um, so I think through uh, what this looks like uh, as we embark upon this, that as followers of Jesus, our mission is to make disciples of all nations, right? If you ever wondered what, what, what's the church about, what our life is supposed to be about, this is it. And so we want to discover the redemptive plan of God and his expectation for how you are to be involved. Okay, So what, what that means is we want to say, okay, if the mission of God is this, then how can I reorient my life to that end? Um, I thought about this recently about where the first mission encounters that I ever had, it probably was praying for missionaries and RAs. You might remember that, what RAs, okay, RAs, GAs, that's where it started for me. Like I remember doing that. Uh, but I always used to think of those missionaries as those super spiritual people that you probably could have a conversation with, okay? Because they're like on a different plane than what I was. Uh, and then when I was in seventh grade, I went on my first mission trip uh, with the youth group, okay? Some of you may have also had that in your story. Mine was to New Orleans, Louisiana. And we went down to Nolens and we went to uh, go and to do some backyard Bible clubs, some different stuff. We stayed on the New Orleans Seminary campus. And I was a seventh grader, right? Like, I, there, I, don't, I don't know how spiritually mature I was, but all my friends were going on this trip, and I thought, this would be, I, yeah, I could do this. And I started going into certain areas, and we started doing backyard Bible clubs, and what was crazy was is that I kind of engaged in a different way of thinking about missions because all of a sudden, as a seventh grader, I'm like, man, I'm on a mission, right? And so I'd go in and start doing things and thinking differently and having different conversations. And then when I got back to, to my hometown of Greenwood, South Carolina, I started driving by places that looked exactly like how I had traveled states over to share the message, and yet I couldn't share it right where I was. There's some kind of disconnect, right? Like the reality was... Uh, I guess maybe this is a good survey question. Are there people on the other side of the world that need Jesus? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Are there people in Greenville County that needs Jesus? Yes or no? Yes. 
Yes, they're they're there. They're they're here and there. They're in both situations. And so to make these enemies to one another is not doing what Christ has called us to do. He says, as you go, make disciples, which means we start here, but we yes, we need to get over there, right? So it started for New Orleans for me. Um, when I was uh, 14, whatever, that was ninth grade, maybe ish. ish um, I remember being at a youth camp and during a quiet time, feeling a call to the ministry. You go, what was that like? I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to really kind of compartmentalize and put it in a box, but this is what I, I did know. Um, at that time in my life, I remember reading God's word and feeling like I was surrendering, if that makes sense. God, I want to do this, and my teachers and family think I need to do this, but I'm whatever you have for me, like I'm in. I'll do it, whatever it is. So I went and I told my youth pastor, I, I, I'm, I'm in, I, I don't know what that means, called a ministry. He kind of affirmed that in my life, and I started going on this track, but I still didn't know what it was. So I thought maybe I was going to go into some type of church role or something like that. But then my, at the end of my, or my freshman year in college, uh, I wanted to be a part of this training program it was a three-month summer deal, right? The only problem was is that the middle month had me going overseas, and that really wasn't kind of like even on the radar for me. First month was training. The third month was doing ministry in the States, traveling around, preaching to different people. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And so the second month was like, you need to go on an international mission trip to the 1040 window, which is basically a part on the map between uh, the latitude-longitude coordinates of 1040, basically, where there's such a huge population of the unreached people throughout the world. And we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later in the weeks to come. But so it wasn't like a heartbeat of mine. I wasn't against missions. I just didn't think I was called to it. So I said, okay, fine. This is part of this three-month program. Sure, I'll go. I'll do this. Whatever, whatever that, that's fine. And so they, they assigned me to Tokyo, Japan. And uh, I went to Tokyo. And I, I'll never forget to, to train us for before we went on that trip. They got all of the... 10 or so students, college students, that were going to be on this team to Tokyo, and we were in Denver for the training. They put us in a van and drove us around Denver, and then they just stopped somewhere and told all of our team to get out and said, all right, find your way back to the training center. Bye. And they took off. Now, this was in the archaic times when we didn't have cell phones, right, okay? This is like dinosaurs were still around and all that kind of stuff. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have GPS. I couldn't phone a friend. Like, we were just literally like, okay. So we started walking back, and it was interesting on that team dynamic, people arguing with each other. Then we all of a sudden, we get back there. And I'll never forget this, that as soon as we get back to the center, hours later, the leader says this. All right, I want y'all to point, when I say three, point to the person who was the most helpful in getting you back this place. One, two, three, and everybody started pointing fingers. Well, apparently I had more fingers pointed at me than anybody else. And at that point, the guy says, you'll be the team leader when you get to Tokyo. And I'm like... I can't find my way out of a paper bag, okay? I was just trying to make sure people didn't turn on each other and kill each other. Like, and so I become this team leader to go on an international mission trip, and I've never been overseas myself, right? And on that way, as we, we get to Tokyo, and I can remember uh, you know, all the interesting things, right? There, there's the long flight, and there's the unique situation. The moment it took my breath away was not when I got to Tokyo, but when I went to LAX. It's the airport in Los Angeles. If you get to the international side, you walk across this threshold, and it's almost like you have walked into a totally different world. You're, there's not a whole lot of English going on. You're like looking, uh, and then you get on this airplane, and it's very different. And then you fly almost a day overseas, and then you get there. And you are looking for a sign that says go to the bathroom. And guess what? It's not in English. 
and and you for the first time you realize that you're in different uncharted territory and the moment for it where it flipped for me i'm trying to give you kind of my my uh, summarized missions biography here was we were working in a university called Hitsobachi University where we were doing an English corner for a bunch of students. And the moment when we did this kind of presentation and then we get in these smaller groups so we can kind of share Christ with these people, we were doing a, 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 a kind of a, a presentation where Jesus was being crucified. And so somebody's coming along and knocking on the hands and da da da. And what's so awkward was that these students started laughing at it. I'm like, they're laughing at Jesus being crucified. What? They're all. And so I get there and they're like, why were you punching that guy in the hand? And I was like, ah, oh, he represented Jesus. And then came the question that changed my life when Yohei looked at me and said, who's Jesus? I said, what do you mean? And I've never heard that name. Who is that? And that's when I realized my eyes were open. This world's not the way I thought it was. Like, I, I knew that stuff, right? But the reality is that I had the same conversation two years later on another mission field. We're doing a presentation explaining Jesus, and this little boy named Rodney looks at me and says, Who is Jesus? And you know what mission field that was? Jefferson City, Tennessee. And I realized that there are people all over the world that do not know the name of Jesus, wouldn't know how to be able to approach him if they had the opportunity. And yet, if we're not careful, the mission of God can be something so far removed from our lives. And so let's look at tonight, just opening this up, exactly what is the Christian mission? Are there two? Are there three? Because a lot of times we call it missions, but in reality, it really is one mission. That's it. Uh, here it is. The Christian mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ worldwide. That's the mission. Is there a second one? Nope. Is there a third one? Nope. Is there a 10-point uh, you know, auxiliary? No. It's one mission. To make disciples of Jesus Christ worldwide. We don't stop here. We go as far as we possibly can with our lives to make disciples. And we'll unpack what what that means in just a second. We need to know that while there are other goals of the church, all of them should submit to and support that mission and that mission alone. It is to make disciples. And so, for any, when I say the goal of, uh, a lot of times you guys, you know how I'll talk about that this word here is very important the way that we see it. There is what I call the big C church, and that is what I call the little C church, right? We are a little C church, Rocky Creek Baptist Church. We're a little C church. We are not the end all, but there is a church that is worldwide throughout all history that we're all a part of, right? So when I'm talking about there are other goals of the church, every individual, every little C church should submit and support that one mission. Now, can I ask you, have you ever seen little C churches get off the task of the Great Commission? Focus on something else? Keeping everybody happy, having really good music programs, having really nice facilities, impressing all of our friends. A lot of stuff can take us off course, right? But the goal, everything else. So when you start thinking of, should we do this or should we do that? Does it submit and support that one mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ? Jesus, in his words as he was ascending into heaven, in Matthew chapter 28, 18, it says, Jesus came near and said to them, How much authority? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make what? Disciples of how many nations? 
all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe how much? Everything I've commanded you. Jesus, you said a lot. I know exactly what I said, right? But remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So let me just make sure we get a couple things out from that great commission of what Jesus is saying there. When he says go, we need to know the task is go and tell, not come and see. And we have really gotten that thing messed up in Big C Church and Little C Church all around the way because... When we think about missions, a lot of time it's this. You ought to come to our church. We have a lot of good programs. You come over to where we are. You come and see us sometime. We're open every Sunday. Come, 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 come. When the mission is not go and tell people, hey, come and see, the mission is go and tell. So if we gather together here tonight and it changes nothing about the way that we leave, we really have failed here today. Um, there used to be a time, right, when people would come to church when they were seeking for answers. That's really not happening right now. They got Google, right? Okay. There's a reason why this church campus uh, has something atop it, right? It is what we call a steeple. Y'all look like you didn't know what my drawing was. That's a steeple, and y'all know it looks good. Um, all right. Um, so, so with this, uh, one of my kids asked one day, they said, why are the steeples so high? Well, back in the day, it was because when you were living far out from places and you wanted to find a church, you'd look and you'd see the highest building, and you go, oh, there's a church over that way. And that's where you go to, right? That, that's how it was seen. And, and so there was a sense of you're in a town, you're traveling somewhere, and you go, oh, there's a church over there, and you make your way far over there. There's not a lot of people who are going, let me see if I can find a church. Um, it is interesting that you can be uh, coming down, uh, well, this is 385 or whatever, and you can see, my kids always say they can see the steeple over Woodruff Road. You can kind of like see it through different places. Uh, I actually was told that there's a pilot that told us that in bad, um, when, when the weather is bad around Greenville County, that a lot of the pilots know to look for the steeple at Rocky Creek and where the heading is so they can find the airport from here which is kind of pretty cool, right? It's kind of a navigating point to get back. That's why some days we're in the office and you're like, like okay, they must be finding their way about the steeple, right? But that was kind of the old mentality is find a steeple underneath it's going to be people that will help you see the truth and go that way. But we don't live in a come and tell mentality. People aren't coming. And even if that was the reality, folks, we've got to get out. We've got to go too. In fact, one of the most uh, common conversations that I've had with people all over the world is this. Hey, is America really as great as I hear it is? I'm like, ah, do y'all really have these nice of things there? And you get blah, 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 blah. And then, and then especially if I'm in a third world country where things are really bad and I'm sleeping in pretty rough spots and I'm eating all, who knows what, don't ask until afterwards, right? Okay, when I'm in those situations, and some of those people who've heard all the luxuries of a United States of America will look at you and go, why would you go all the way and leave the U.S. of A. to come see me? It's one of the best questions in the world. Because I love you this much. To tell you that there's a God who loves you more. That I would leave every comfort that I got just to look at you eyeball and eyeball to say this. Jesus has come to save you. It's a go and tell word. It's not come and see. Then there is this, this word that says, therefore... Because the mission is to be a way of life and not minimized to a select few going to foreign places. He says, 
go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The, the verb really there in go is actually, some people would translate it or think that it's okay to interpret it this way. As you are going, therefore, make disciples. You go, well, I don't know if I'm going to go anywhere. You're going to go somewhere tonight, right? I hope, because I'm going to turn the lights off in a little bit. Okay, we're going to lock the doors. You, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, okay? Like, there is going to be a going, and the, the commission really is, so as you're going, therefore... Like, you're going to be going somewhere, so this is what you ought to do. And yet, we have made missions about a select few and a spiritual elite going to foreign places, and the rest of the churches think that their goal is this, to pray and support. Now, folks, is prayer helpful for the mission, yes or no? Yes. Is financial support important in the mission? Yes. But that doesn't mean that you and I can sit on the sidelines. No, it doesn't mean that every single one of us has got to get on a plane and go to the other side of the world by this time tomorrow. But for us to think that the mission only belongs to a few spiritual elite, we don't get it. Therefore, as you're going, right? Every single one of us, wherever you end up. Here's the beauty as I look across this room today. Some of you are going to be environments this week that I don't get to be a part of. I'll be in certain environments you don't get to be a part of. It's almost as if God has a strategy and sending us out seeing where we might end up and the people that we can reach out to. Then the word in the Great Commission, he says, go therefore and make what again? He says, make disciples. This is a reminder for all of us. Christ has called us to make disciples, not converts. You know, what's the difference? It's huge. Absolutely paramount of importance here. Because Christ did not say go and make converts. Typically what's happened in our nation in the last few decades is this. Once somebody has walked an aisle, gotten baptized, we job's not done. Because Jesus didn't say go make converts. Someone who raises a hand, walks an aisle, says a prayer, gets baptized. The goal is discipleship, not conversion. So when you get a new believer, you don't go, job's done. Actually, the job's just beginning. And what I have found is is that that making disciples is calling people to go out. And disciples literally means a student, a learner, someone who's growing in their own faith. Which means this, the faith you start with, while the fundamentals of what it is, should not be the same type of spirituality that you end with. What does this mean? I've been walking with Jesus for 34 years. I ought to be more mature than when I started. Amen? Hopefully, I'm going to be even more mature in a few more years. I pray. I pray at this time next year, I look back at my life and go, man, that guy seems foreign to me. Man, he was so immature compared to where I'm going, right? And then the next year, I'm going, i got more room to grow. That's the goal of discipleship. Now, now what takes place is so we find somebody, we bring them to Christ. They, they, they do, they confess faith in Christ. That's awesome. But then our job is to grow them up and to send them out. Now, just side note, I want to go ahead and just remove something from you. I don't think that any recent convert needs to wait a few years and go through a few of our training classes before they ever share Christ with anybody else. You know why? Because if they get around a bunch of stagnant Christians, they'll never share their faith. When you're new in the faith, you want to tell everybody, oh, I got saved. You want to let us train you. Come to our class and we're going to teach you and be a part of Pastor Travis's mission class. I'm going to ruin you. You know why? Because all of us have gotten stuck and we don't want to share. So we don't want to teach them in that. We want to know you're new. But, but yet, there is this maturing that takes place. Then it says, go make disciples of all the nations. That all is important. We are called to go to all nations, not some of the nations. 
Yeah, but some of those nations are hard. Good. Some of those nations are far. Yep. Sometimes it's expensive to get in there. And it's worth it. Every bit of it. How can we put a price tag on a soul? Right? How can we step back and go, well, this would be worth it. This, no, no, no. We are called to go to all the nations. Now, it does not mean that every single believer here, you are called to go to every single nation. I, uh, I had at one point in my life a little map uh, in my office where I had little pins on the map, you know. Been to New Orleans, been over here to Japan, been to Brazil, da, 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 da. I just started putting all this kind of stuff on. I'm like, man, I've gone to a lot of places. Big whoop. Okay, right? Big whoop. This is not the Christian version of travel extraordinaire, right? Okay? But yet, there should be some type of mentality. Am I spending my life for this purpose alone? Like, what part of the all nations am I a part of? Because what we have the opportunity as a church is this. You may not go to all the nations, but should we be supporting what's happening all over the world in some type of way? Can I just tell you what I would love, love, love to see one day at Rocky Creek? That students who grow up in our preschool and children's ministry, that some of the earliest days of their life, they remember praying for missionaries of whom they never, ever met. That they start seeing videos and hearing stories about those who are blazing a trail across the city, around the world, and their heart just kind of gets lit up on it. My heart is that when Lottie Moon Christmas offering comes around, they're going, what can I do to make money around the house to support a missionary? When they get into middle school, I want them going on some type of out-of-the-city type of mission experience. That's where I want. I want to eventually to start, maybe just a weekend, but just a little bit beyond their comfort zone. By the time they graduate high school, I'd love to get them out of this country. I'd love them to see and taste what the world looks like outside of what they're comfortable with. By the time they're in college, I'd love them to spend a summer somewhere where it may not be comfortable, but it's life-changing. And you know what I'd love, love, love to see? Some of those students come back and say, the Lord has called me. And my, my address is changing. And I'm going to go to the nations. And they might start out as a journeyman for a two-year process. And they come back and they go, man, I'm, I'm, this is it for me. Like I, I might come back here and I'm glad y'all got a mission house. And I can spend some time here. But I'm gone to the nations. And whether they're single or they're married. And they go head out to the nations. And then guess what happens? We start having all these missionaries all over the world. And then when we have high school students and college students and adults like yourself, I'd like to go on mission. Guess where we send them? To our people. All over the world. And multiplication takes place. And all of a sudden, we have some type of footprint in what's called, not, maybe we won't see all nations, but folks, if we're not supporting and thinking and praying and sending people out, we've got to say, instead of just like our little sphere, no, 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 what if, what if it could happen? Then when those preschoolers were praying for missionaries, it was with people who raised in that same preschool department as they are. And that one day they raise up and they go and not only see that. Folks, you do realize this, that if you go on a mission trip and you go support somebody you don't know, you can try to love and encourage them. But if that's your family, when you go there, it's a completely different feel. That's what could take place here. And this would be for us to say, okay, what does it mean for us to think about all nations? What could take place without we could send out support and when it does say nations, it's important to know that we must go until all people groups 
have had an opportunity to respond to the gospel. The word there in the Greek language is a word that looks like this. Okay? Go therefore and make disciples of all the, that word right there. This is what it would sound like if you were to read it from the Greek language. Go therefore and make disciples of all the ethnos. Ethnos. Sound like anything familiar to you? Ethnicity, right? Well, so typically we think of nations as this nation over here and this nation over here and this nation over here. But when you start going into these nations, what you find out is that there are different ethnoses within the nations. There's different people groups that make up these nations. And what Christ has called us to do is not say, ah, Spain, check. Uganda, check, right? China, check. It's to go to all the people groups know the one true God. That's the goal. That's the task. Now, if you turn over, this is the question for us to consider. Who is responsible for the mission's success, right? So if this is the mission, who is responsible? Well, God is ultimately responsible, but we are supposed to be personally responsible. So yes, at the end of the day, the mission will rise and fall. It will succeed because God is ultimately responsible. It's his mission. It will succeed because he's involved. And yet, what that doesn't produce in us is some type of naive spiritual snobbery that distorts the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, which means that you and I can vacate the premises and expect God to do his work, and we just sit back on our royal little pews and not get involved in the mission of God. God is ultimately responsible, but he's calling us to be personally responsible. If the mission were based only on God's efforts, you know what would happen? We would never get involved. Well, God, you go do your thing, right? It's not on us. You, you go do your thing, God. You're going to reach the nations. You can do it without us. And so, therefore, do it, God. We never get involved. There is a uh, missionary hero pioneer that is uh, very important to, uh, I would say, our story as a church and uh, Baptist missions throughout the year, uh, years is a guy by the name of William Carey. One day, William Carey was a young pastor who went to what I'd call a Baptist annual meeting kind of deal, okay, right? Which is always where exciting stuff happens, by the way, okay? He goes in, and he's like, hey, guys, I've been doing some research, and there are people on the other side of the world that don't know the gospel. And I want to go, but I don't have the funds to get me over there, and I need the support system of you guys to support me and get me over there, Right? A word that uh, we don't really use a whole lot, and there's a few reasons why, but back in the day, they would call people... Uh-oh, wait a minute. Um, yep, we're getting there. No, there we go. Okay. If the word that they would use back in the day is called heathen, right? If you never, like, typically we go, that little heathen means like somebody's really, really bad, okay? What the heathen meant really back in the day were those who don't know Jesus. They don't have access to Christian. Okay, that was kind of where that, that term came from. So William Carey stands up. We got to get the gospel to the heathen, right? They don't know Jesus. We got to get there, and I'm willing to go, but I got to have somebody got to hold the line, right? It's kind of the idea. I got to have somebody support me. Who would do this? And one of the presiding, leading pastors in that thing stood up and said, Young man, sit down. If God's going to reach the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. William Carey walked out of that room and decided to take matters into his own hands. 
part of this story is the reason why, honestly, we do missions the way they do. So I say this. If the mission were based only on God's efforts, we would never get involved. But if the mission were based only on our efforts, we would fail miserably. Right? If God just said, all right, guys, get after it. I have to imagine there would be some cringe moments and we would not succeed. You know why? Because I'd be involved. And I have a good, good track record of I mess up stuff when I get involved. Right? Do you think there's ever been some moments where God has had to clean up some of your messes? He has mine. And so even with that, like if it's just, if God just gave us the commission and said, guys, but it's not a mission. It is a co-mission, right? The commission is God's going to do his part, but we're called to do our part as well. Um, Jesus will reach the nations with or without any one of us. I do believe this, that Jesus has said in his word, who reached the nations? Well, how's he going to do it without me? He's used angels. He's used dreams. He's used a donkey before, too. He's not against using another one, by the way. That fits your description, okay? okay. Uh, he's used all kinds of things to get his message across. He's not dependent upon us. One of the most encouraging and yet discouraging things is to realize this. If I drop dead tomorrow or walk away from the faith tomorrow, the message and mission of Jesus Christ goes forward unhindered, with or without me. So then why am I going to be involved? Failure to engage in the mission of Christ doesn't mean it's failure, but ours. If I don't get involved, the mission doesn't fail. I do. I've missed out on the opportunity to be involved in what God is doing around the world. To think that sometimes that you can be a part of a story of where maybe you go to certain places to where yet uh, you may not have a physical imprint, but because the way you've stewarded your life, you get to be a part of what God is doing. Some of you have taught those RAs or GAs or done those VBSs or led those youth mission trips, and you've got somebody on the other side of the world who is living in a country that you cannot find on the map without help, speaking a language that you could not speak, in a city of which you may not even be able to spell, and yet, because of your investment in their life, they're there. Now, that person would have gotten there, whether without you or I. God's mission would have reached those people, whether without you or I. But the reality is this. At some point, we've got to realize God's going to do this with or without us, but he's inviting us into this process. I never kid. One time I went on a mission trip in a uh, very, very kind of dangerous uh, spot, way out off the radar in a lot of places. And I'll never forget this missionary drops me and a group of guys out of the Jeep, and he does this real dramatic thing. He draws a line in the sand with his foot. We're literally in the desert, starts drawing this line in the sand. He's like, all right, guys, I want to tell you something. As far as we know it, the gospel has never crossed this line. No missionary has gone as deep into this area as you guys are going. Here's your satellite phone. Here's a map what we've got. Good luck, but you're pioneering and no one has taken the name of Jesus. I'm telling you what, man, you're getting, you know, I'm getting so bowed up. I'm ready to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. I'm like running through that like desert stuff. Like we got a, a few miles, right? Like calm down, okay? I'm wanting to get to those people and I go in there and I'm marching to that village and I'm like, greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. I am the, you know, I'm thinking like I'm the first missionary or whatever. And this guy literally looks at me and goes, oh, you guys are missionaries too? 
what? Oh yeah, somebody was here three years ago, this same message. I'm like, no, I'm the first one, buddy, okay? Nobody has crossed this line. He's like, well, he was here three years ago. Who was he? I don't know. I'm going, you mean to tell me that I'm not the only trailblazer out there? I mean, I thought this was about me going forward and God's going, I got missionaries you don't even know about. I'm working in places you hadn't even gotten to yet. So the mission will go on with or without us, folks. So why do we get involved? Because he's inviting us to be a part of the most important, life-changing thing in the world, offering hope of the gospel to people who do not know it. Psalm 90 verse 17 says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. I love that phrase, right? Because it's going, establish. God, you've got to do the establishing. What is the establishing? The work of our hands. I'm involved, but if it's going to have any staying power, God's got to do it. So you go, I don't have a whole lot of really notable, noteworthy efforts. That's okay. God establishes it. Um, have you ever done something in the name of the Lord, for the Lord? Just think about some of the guys who just got back from our Ecuador trip, right? There are people who came back, and, and I know this because this happens on every time a trip happens like this. Some people who think, I'm going to go in there, I'm going you know, to win the whole country to Jesus by the time I get back, right? And then they get there, and they might <gasps> get scared, overwhelmed. And there's some people who walk in, they are as nervous as all get out. I have seen missionary prospects get on the field and it's like they cannot even say Jesus loves me without going uh, 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 they're just overwhelmed right and then all of a sudden something changes they'll, they'll give a simple gospel presentation with a shaky voice and trembling and the whole village is like where do we need to be baptized I'm like what in the world is that right <laughs> what just happened God established the work of their hands you speak God sends the spirit you go, he establishes the work. You speak, he changes lives. Is it my responsibility to change life? You can't change your own life, right? Your job is to speak, share the gospel, go, get out there, then watch what he can do. God has given his mission to the global church made up of individual disciples whom he expects to surrender their lives to his cause. This mission if you choose to accept it, right? Okay. Is this. To get caught up in what God is doing around the world. You start right where you are. And you see where the Spirit leads you to. Some in short places. Some in long-term situations. But at least for this given week, folks. I believe that Jesus Christ has commissioned this team right here. To a place called Greenville, South Carolina. That desperately needs the gospel. And so what are we going to do about it? Well, if responsibility for the mission success is on God, but also on us, then let me ask you, what opposes the mission? Well, I think this is appropriate for uh, after the passage we looked at here today at the church, but 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul says, we wanted to come to you, right? We wanted to, we tried. Even I, Paul, Paul typically, he wants to do it. It's going to happen, right? Time and again, but who hindered us? Satan hindered us. So you mean to tell me that Satan could slow down even the Apostle Paul? Apparently he did. And I will say this today. Why is the church not engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ the way we ought to? Because Satan is hindering us. Now, sometimes he doesn't need the credit for all of it. Sometimes it's just us. Okay, okay. But there is a strategy at play. 
and let me explain how this works. And I, I just I'll, let me at least give you this one real quick, just before we go down this list uh, to, to finish up. Um, since 2020, I cannot begin to tell you the hindering that I believe is happening to the mission of Jesus Christ if you just look at the cost of plane tickets. If you look at what's happening in vaccination slash now immunizations to get into certain countries, if you look at the fear that so many of us have, back in back in 2019, people were like, I go to that country, I get yellow fever, all right, I'll be fine, whatever. You know, like now, everybody's like, oh, it's cold season, put on a mask again, right? I mean, like we're, we're fearful like we've never been. Do you not think that could be a satanic attack to keep us at home? keep us from going, to keep us from going even to a home and sharing because of fear of what if I can't catch something? What if they don't hear something? That's the bigger question. And so we've got to come back to what, what is this? Well, first thing that will slow us down is hostility. The forces of Satan will do everything within their power to hinder the advancement of the gospel. Um, hostility will happen. In our country right now, it is the disapproving, growing frustration and hostility of our culture against anything that looks exclusive to the message of Jesus Christ. If you follow a version of Christianity that says whatever's good for you is good for you, but I follow Jesus, no problem. You start to say that I only believe that there's one true name that can save. It is Jesus Christ. They're going to come at you, and you got to decide if you're going to water that down or not. The hostility is rising up. I have... I have had moments where um, in my life, I throughout a lot of different short-term mission experiences that I've had, um, I have been taken to jail in a communist country. I've had a voodoo doll made up of me. I have had a gang waiting outside my bedroom. I've had a Buddhist monk and all of his ninja friends awaiting me when I got to a temple one day. I've had all kinds of crazy situations, okay? And I would go there, and I'd come back. Uh, sometimes I was wondering if I was going to come back, and I just had this propensity. I don't know if it's faith, Rob. I had this idea, like, it'll be all right. <laughs> no matter how bad it is. I mean, I've been in some situations. I'm in the middle of a desert with nothing but Muslim men, and I lost the guy's goat. And I thought, they're all going to kill me here in this desert. Nobody knows where I am. And sometimes I'll just step back and go, I'm going to die here. I literally am going to die. And I don't even think about it until I get there. I know what it's like. And then I'll come back to this country and like, we don't know what it's like to have any type of hostility in this country. But we're starting to get a glimmer. Starting to get a glimmer. Is it as bad as around this world? Nope. But it's home. So it feels different, right? I can go into a country and be on in danger for like 10 days and come back home, right? And get in my bed. Everything's fine. But we are now living in a different pace, and the hostility is against us to do everything within the power to hinder the advancement of the gospel. Also, what I would call hierarchy opposes the mission. Hierarchy is kind of that idea that there are some people at this level and some people at that level, and you name it. But most Christians have surrendered their responsibilities of the Great Commission to an elitist mindset that only views vocational missionaries as those who are called to go. And a hierarchical approach is... Especially um, if you know about the cooperative program, if you know about the International Mission Board, all the stuff we support, years ago it was, you churches can't send out missionaries to support missionaries. You need to let us do it. And so what the churches did, great, hands off. Go for it. Mission Board, go for it. Missionaries, 
And somewhere along the way, we lost what God had called us to do. And, and we started believing the lie that there are certain elitists that are just like, oh, they're so spiritual, they can go. No, you can too. You can go. The simplicity of the mission is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's evangelism and missions, folks. I was starving and I met the bread of life and he's changed my life. You starving? I can direct you to him. That's all it is. We're going to get in all kinds of specifics these next few weeks. And here's how you can do this and here's what's going on in the world. At the end of the day, it's this. I used to be hungry, but he has satisfied every single one of my needs. And if you're starving, I can point you to him. That's what it is. Whether it's here, whether it's over there. Don't get in that mindset. Another opposition to the mission is insecurity. I believe we will never run out of excuses as to why God shouldn't use us, but that has never stopped him from continuing to call us into this work. I know you're insecure. I know you've got issues. I know you've got incapabilities in your mind, but don't you realize that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the strong? And that's encouraging because I feel pretty foolish most days. God, but look at all these insecurities. Good, I'll use that. I'll go there. Because what he doesn't want is for us to get in all the credit for what, well, what he can do. Another opposition to this mission is nothing other than luxury. Many Christians will never advance the gospel because of the discomfort that often accompanies it. If I am honest with you, if you start out the conversation thinking about, well, how rough are the conditions going to be? You're not in a good space for it. Um, I have known it's like to be, if you've ever been on an international mission trip, especially for flying over the waters, there's some planes have this little map that's on the big TV. And it says, here's your plane, here's where you started from, here's where you're going, and you just watch it for 14 hours. <laughs> just watch it. And it's all the time going, only 12 hours to go, and I'm like, I'm going to die here, okay? Like, your mind's going, I can't take this kid screaming behind me. I can't smell the smell of whatever kind of burrito that is. For, I can't do it. Like, I'm trapped in this place. I can't watch these movies anymore. And But yet, in my mind, I go, it's not that long. I mean... 12 hours, it's going to feel like 24, but there's coming an end point to this plane and I'll be free. And so you got to go, okay, it's only a small time. So what could you not do for Jesus and for the souls of people for seven days? Ten days. Two months. Twenty years. Because you might have rough conditions for a little while, but I promise you this, where we're going, folks, one day, the stuff that we clamor for in this world, like gold, is what they straight, uh, they uh, pave the streets with up there. So I, you might be uncomfortable for this much of time. I don't know how many years God will allot to me, but if I get a full 120, right? It's a fraction, not even an inch of what it looks like, what my life will be like for eternity. So what kind of discomfort are you willing to go through? Some opposition to the mission is unclarity. Many Christians possess motivation but lack proper direction on where to go and how to get there. Even tonight, man, I pray the Spirit's like, man, I, you need to go. And you're like, all right, I'm ready to go. Okay, let's, let's do this. What can I do? But yet no one points you in the direction. I think a lot of times we have too quick of an on-ramp to missions. Don't do anything, don't do anything, don't do anything. Go on the other side of the world and live in a hut for a week. Whoa, is, is there something to help get me there? There needs to be. And that's what we've got to work on as a church. Let's take those steps along the way so that you kind of figure out what is it, where do you need to go, how do you need to get there. Another opposition is superiority. 
And this one might hit a little close to home, but if your version of the mission succeeding centers around people who look like you from your country finishing the task, you've yet to see the world as God sees it. What does that mean? The United States of America is not the only mission-sending nation in the world. Did you know that the nation of China has a church in it that's thinking about how they can send missionaries over to the United States because they hear about the spiritual condition we're in? And I don't blame them. <laughs> Look at us, folks. Look how messed up we are. So there's Chinese Christians going. Communist government's weighing down. They might threaten to kill us. If we have the full Bible, they may put us in prison. But you know who needs help? Those Americans over there. Steeple on every corner, and yet they don't know the God of the Bible. So what I say about this is, um, I believe one day we're going to find out that a lot of those who help get the Great Commission across the finish line may not look like you or I. May not come from the same zip code. May not even come from the same denomination. <gasps> It's about the gospel. It's about the big C church. It's about the kingdom of God. The last opposition to missions before we conclude tonight is what I would call apathy. Many people never engage in the mission because they are simply unmoved by the fact that people will spend eternity in hell without Jesus. As clearly as I can say it, I've done this numerous times in church settings where I will say, if you know Jesus and you die tonight, where are you going to go? And people go, heaven! And I'll say, but if somebody doesn't know Jesus and they die tonight, where would they go? And they go, hell. Why didn't you say that as confident as the other? Because we don't want to think about it. We don't want to be kept up tonight about the thought of it, right? Like at the end of the day, there should be something about the reality of this world that no matter how frustrated you get at how crazy this culture is, it should still break your heart. Because what people are striving after is the hope that they're looking for in this world can't be found in the bottom of a bottle or in another relationship or that extra promotion. The hope and the purpose they've been found, looking for is found in none other than the person of Jesus Christ, and we have the opportunity to share that with them. And my question tonight is this. Will you steward your life to that end? Here, there, somewhere in between, whatever that looks like, folks, I hereby commission you in the name of Jesus Christ. To share what you've got with somebody else who needs it. No matter how uncomfortable it is, there's something far worse than your discomfort right now for that individual if we don't share. So how will we engage our lives? So Father, tonight I ask and pray that as we really just start, uh, I would say a journey together, we want to be in step with your spirit and your word and we want, like the original disciples, were commissioned to go out to take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. God, there are people literally from the ends of the earth coming to Greenville, South Carolina. We don't even have to go out of this zip code to see the ethnos. See people from all different tribes and nations and tongues that are right here for us. And so as we are going, we want to start here to Greenville this week to go and make disciples of those that are in this nation. But Lord, if you would call us, if we'd be available, if we could get there to that next nation, whatever it is, as a church, as the Big C Church, Lord, help us be involved in that end. Uh, there are people who need to know you and you have been given the greatest news in the world. Help us to not sit on it. And in these weeks to come, 
Help us learn as individuals and as a church what does it mean to be caught up in the mission of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray and all God's people say, amen. Thank you for listening to the Entrust Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast. We hope that you take what has been entrusted to you here and give it to another.